0: If you have your copy of God's Word this evening, and you would find 1 Kings, we started last week a series through the book of 1 Kings, Leading in a Broken World. And if you've got a chance to read 1 Kings, it reads like a version of some television movie, reads like some popular version of Game of Thrones or whatever wicked show on HBO that you shouldn't watch that you watch when no one's around. I mean, it's full of betrayals and lies and heartaches and brokenness. And you see, Jake, why does God put that in there? To remind us that what we're living in is not unique to us. God has always had His people in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of hurting people that they might see that there is hope. And we started last week looking in verses 1 through 10, and King David has become an old man. He is no longer able to be the king that he once was. He's no longer able to fight the battles that he once fought. And there is weakness in the air. His oldest living son, Adonijah, has decided it's my right to be king. And so I'm going to stir up the people. I'm going to get my supporters. And I'm going to claim the throne for my own. And we saw how that unfolded and how he surrounded himself with people who would support him and encourage him. Tonight, as we continue through this, I want you to think about this for just a moment because what we have is family drama. We have a family being torn apart amongst itself. We have political drama. We have the change of one king to another. And so you can ask yourself, is a family worth fighting for? Is a nation worth fighting? Fighting for? Is having a Christian testimony in the community worth fighting for? I always get a pick, kick out of it when people say, I want to be my on my best behavior at church. I appreciate that. But you know where Christians really should try with the best of their ability to live under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to live in such a way that honors Christ? Not so much here where we understand sin and brokenness and the fact that we all fall short of the glory of God. It should be when we sit next to the person who doesn't know the grace and mercy of Jesus, the forgiving power that he has, and looks to us as a hypocrite skeptic. That's when we ought to say, close the mouth. Lord, open the ears. Lord protect the heart it is in those moments that God has sent us out into a broken world a hurting world a fallen world and says I want you to shine and sparkle like a diamond in the rough but let's be honest most of us think of it backwards we put on our best clothes for Sunday we get in our best behavior on Sunday I put a whole lot more hair powder in on Sunday than I do any other day of the week. You know why? Because that camera shines right down on that forehead and it has become a six head. It was a five head, now it's a six head, right? And so I know that if there's no hair powder, all week I'll have to hear from someone who goes, Hey, I love this sermon, but boy, what has happened to your head? You say, well, what does that matter, Jake? Well, to me, it's vanity, and it, it's something I struggle with. That's just the honest to God truth. I don't know what else to tell you. One person said one time, Jake, you've not got less head hair. Your head's just got twice as big. I said, I wasn't talking about my double chins down here. Come on now. But in our walk with Christ... In our walk amongst lost and dying people, they are not looking for invitations. They are not looking for building programs. They are looking for people who are different than everyone else, who think different, who talk different, who live different in a world that is full of selfishness, brokenness, and hurting. And we have been given that opportunity to lead in a broken world. You see, everyone will be led by someone. If you have children, they will be led and influenced by someone. You can say, I'm not going to put in the effort, then someone will. If you have, in my case, six daughters, if I do not teach them how to be loved in a way that honors them and honors Christ, the world will teach them how to be lusted after. If you do not go into your place of employment, if you're a boss, and show what it looks like to be a Christian witness, there, there will be someone who is deceptive and selfish that will lead. In politics, we've always said Christians should stay out of politics. You are mistaken. Christians should run for school board. They ought to run for local office. The influence of the believer ought to be seen everywhere. I don't run because I know me. I have no doubt I'd get in one of those meetings and look at someone and say, you're an idiot. That's what would happen. Because I say it in my head all the time. I know myself. I could not be trusted. But some of you have the patience of Job. Some of you have the wisdom of Solomon. I'm not there yet. Stupid people make me do stupid things, all right? But how can we be those people that God wants us to be? You say, Jake, this has nothing to do with the text tonight. You are absolutely mistaken. Look what it says starting in verse 11 of chapter 1. I want to show you a godly relationship with a difficult start. Starting in verse 11, after this plan has been started, let's look what happens. So Nathan, Nathan's the prophet. He had been used by God in a mighty way spoke to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, the one who's trying to be cheated out of the crown, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son, Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then, while you are still talking with, there with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. Pray with me. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for people who are willing to stand up when injustice is being done. Lord, we thank you for godly counsel, godly wisdom, godly advice from people that you put around us. But tonight we pray, Lord, that your word would instruct us, that it would lead us, that it would teach us how to lead in a broken world, how to make a difference in a time, Lord, when I believe you are trying to shine in the darkness. Lord, I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so we see here from this text that he goes to Bathsheba and says, listen, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I don't know if you understand what's going on, but you and your son are in grave danger. Not just because your life is at risk, because it would be. Because when Adonijah took the throne, Solomon would have been expendable. He would have been a rival claim and the only way to handle a rival claim to the throne was to remove him, to kill him. And so Nathan goes to her and says, this is for your well-being. But it's bigger than that. This was a man of God who knew what God wanted, who knew what was best for the kingdom and said, not only is it best for you, this is what's best for Israel. This is what's best for this nation that God loves, that God cares about, that God protects. And then he says, I want to give you some advice. Well, you say, Jake, this would be easy to listen to. I don't know if you remember how Bathsheba and Nathan got to know each other. But if you remember, Bathsheba was out taking a bath. King David looked down from his palace, wanted her, brought her into his home, slept with her. She got pregnant. David wanted to hide it. And so he sent for her husband to come home from the battlefield. And he said, go in and lie with your wife. But he was a man of such integrity that he would not go in while all of his kinsmen and the ark was at battle. If you remember, the wise, wonderful King David that we're looking at says, I got a plan. I'll get him drunk. And when you get drunk, all your uh, morals and your, your... Your self-control goes out the window. He'll go in. He'll sleep with her. And then we'll tell everybody that she's had the baby early. man wouldn't go into his own home. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't sleep with her. So you know the story. We went through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. King David tells Joab, I want you to send him to the front of the battle. And when it's at its most fierce, I want you to leave him there. And then he died. We know that then King David took her in once her time of mourning was over, married her, everything looks good. And then the Lord says, I know what you've done. And he sends the prophet Nathan to them and says this parable, this story about this one little animal and the man who had everything. And he took that one little animal from that individual and David was irate, he was angry. You can read about that and Nathan says, that's you. And you say, well, why is this hard for Bathsheba to to comprehend with Nathan? Because friends, even though David is the one that instigated that sin, David is the one that was corrected by David, was corrected by God. It still affected her. I want you to show how it affected her. And it doesn't matter sometimes where we get the information from or who gives it to us. The person that bears the information is the person that we blame. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you remember verses 13 through 19, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Now we think about this from David's point of view. We know the Bible tells us that David fasted and David uh, sat in sackcloth and ashes. But we don't ever think that two parents lost a child. We don't ever think about what it would have been like for Bathsheba to hear that because of your sin, David, this child is going to die. Now imagine her every time she sees Nathan. Now, I know this is going to sound very stereotypical or very gender-focused, but when was the last time a woman ever forgot anything you ever did wrong? I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't imagine that every time she sees Nathan that that conversation is replayed in her head. Because of what happened, this child is going to die. Now, I hope... And pray that most of you have never buried a child. But I have watched a parent bury a child. And I am telling you it is something you never get over. Never. Something that will always affect you. It's like losing a limb. You, it heals, but you know it is gone. And friends, what I'm telling you, when she gets this advice from Nathan, do you ever think maybe just possibly, am I really going to lose another child and you're the one that's telling me? You're the one that told me about my first child that died, and now here you are saying that me and Solomon are at risk... Let's go on with that story that you saw in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. Then Nathan departed to the house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to the servant, Is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. You say, well, what do we know about Bathsheba? Look in verse 24 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. She wasn't immune to this. She was not immune to what had happened. And so here is the same man that prophesied, that heard from God that your kid's going to die, and here he is telling her, if you're not careful, it's going to happen again. Now, can you imagine in that moment what the response would be, the answer would be? But yet, I want you to see this, that just because your past with someone might be checkered, just because your past with someone might be painful, just because the things that have happened to you in the past might leave scars, it doesn't mean that that relationship cannot be healed and cannot be productive for God. And as a church, you need to know something. The longer we all go to church together, we are going to do stupid things. We're going to do sinful things. We're going to do hurtful things. And if you look at that person that hurts you, in 1984, the year before I was even born, and says, I'll never forgive them. I'll never get over that. God can't use someone like that. They've got no value to God. Friends, you will never be who God wants you to be no matter how painful it was, not just with church, but if you were raised in a home and something happened to you as a child that should never happen, or you've been married and went through a situation that should never happen, look up here. If only you remember the pain, if only you remember the loss, if only you focus on the brokenness, you will miss that God might just use that person to forever save your life. Whew. I didn't say it was popular. I didn't say Bathsheba wanted to hear this. But Nathan came as a messenger of death the first time. But he came as a messenger of life this time. And Friends, you have to know that. You have to believe that. That God can work in the situations in the people who have hurt us the most. The people who have embarrassed us the most. The people who have wronged us the most. The people who even didn't wrong us, but we took offense to it. You never know how God might restore that. Friends, the greatest picture of Christian love is forgiveness. It's being able to have a relationship with someone that you don't deserve to have a relationship with. That's how we are as Christians. We don't deserve a relationship with God. There is in no way, no planet, no scale that should ever tip in our favor that I should have the privilege of having a relationship with God. But yet the Bible says because of Jesus' love for me and His death on the cross, I don't just come to the throne ashamedly. I don't just come to the throne sheepishly. I can approach the throne of grace Boldly. Why? Because God has said something about me that I didn't deserve, that I belong to him, that I'm a child of his, that I am in a relationship with him. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of scripture tonight is a godly woman who was willing to be led. Now before before you get angry at me, if it was a man in this story, I'd say it was a godly man willing to be led, okay? But look what it says in verse 15. So Bathsheba went. She heard the message. and She did something about it. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? Then she said to him, my lord... You swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, and now my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted calf and sheep in abundance, as an invited all the sons of the king. Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, has not been invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. You see, tonight, I want you to see this, that a mother's love sent her into that room. A mother who was willing to fight for what was right for her children. You say, well, Jake, I don't believe that my kids and my family is affected by my walk with the Lord. Look up here, you are ignorant. If you do not think that you have an influence over your children and their relationship with the Lord and their blessings that can come from the Lord, you are mistaken. Solomon has nothing to do with this story yet. He's not fighting for the kingship. He's not fighting for the throne. Nathan is and his mother And friends, I am telling you, the Bible tells us that there are some unbelieving husbands who will be won to Christ because the influence of a godly wife. And I am telling you, there are some who sit right here in this place tonight because your mothers kept praying for you, kept weeping for you, and when you wanted nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with the Lord, they just kept on praying, saying, God, don't let go of them. God, don't give up on them. God, keep working on them. God, keep dealing with them. Lord, bring them back to the faith that they have been given. You say, well, that's easy. What this woman did was went to the most powerful man in the world and said, hey, you made me a promise. God made us a promise, and I'd like for you to honor it. Maybe it's not about your kids, but maybe it's about your marriage vows. Maybe your marriage is no longer looking like a husband loving a wife like Christ loves the church or a wife submitting to her husband. Maybe the marriage fidelity is no longer there. Maybe there's not not a desire of compassion and kindness and sometimes you just need to stand up and say, this is not the marriage God wants for us. Remember the covenant that we made. Now, you're not going to like this, Sumians, but you can, get, you can get happy in the same pants you get mad in. I was watching the new speaker of the house this week being interviewed by one of my not most favorite people. And they asked him, they said, what do you believe about anything going on in the world today? And he said, if you'll open your Bible and you'll read it, that's what I believe. As I did a little more research on him, him and his wife are in a covenant marriage. Only three states in the United States have covenant marriages. They require more work to get divorced. They require more counseling and time to get married. And it is a second layer of protection in a world that says marriage doesn't matter. This one does. And I thought, that's what I'm talking about. Friends, someians are married on paper. But your relationship hasn't looked like a marriage in years, and it's time for someone to stand up and say, it's not what God said. Some of you have got to make a decision that this marriage is worth fighting for no matter what. Our kids are worth fighting for no matter what. We are willing to do what it takes to see God's blessing and promise in our life. Proverbs 31 describes a godly woman like this. Starting in verse 25, it says, Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. You say, well, Jake, I want to be the woman or the man that God wants me to be, but I can't get the other person to do that. Just do what God's called you to do. Be faithful where you are. Be who God has asked you to be. And when God gives you an audience with someone who is willing to listen, share the truth. Share the truth. Third and final thing tonight as we've looked here through this passage of Scripture, is not only have we seen a godly woman, but now we are going to look at a godly man willing to take a stand. Starting in verse 22, And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. And so they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said... Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and invited all of the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehadidah, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my Lord the king? And have you not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord the king after him? You say, well, what happens? You'll just have to come back in two weeks. You see, sometimes when we read the Bible, we know how this works out. We know that Solomon becomes king. Solomon builds the temple, but Nathan is walking to an old king who is senile, who we don't know how weak he is, how sick he is, how able he is, and says, hey, I'm not trying to go against everybody else, but I don't think this is right. It wasn't guaranteed that David was going to listen to Nathan. Nathan went in there because he believed he had heard from God and knew what was right. And friends, tonight, my greatest piece of advice to you is you need to hear from God. Go where He tells you. And say what He tells you to say. No matter how it works out. You see, most people would say, well, that's the preacher's job not to get involved with who becomes king. It wasn't for this guy. Well, it's not the preacher's job to get involved in someone's family drama. Trust me, I wish the Bible said that. I mean, literally, if you can find the verse and send it to me, favorite parishioner ever, okay? I'm not even kidding. But not in this situation. Why? Because life is messy. Families are hurting. People are struggling. And the one group of people who know the truth and know the God of truth and know the power that He has, have been guilted into staying quiet because of what the world will say about us. Friends, you have the answer to marriage. It's God's Word. You have the answer to how to manage your money. It's God's Word. You know how to answer to politics. It's God's Word. Every problem that the world is drowning in, God's word speaks to. But we won't speak it. Because we've been made to feel backwards, closed-minded, bigoted. But listen to what Ephesians tells us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, stand when things get evil. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when you go into a lost and dying world with truth, you are already a winner. When you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and He sends you out, you are already a winner. You're not fighting for a victory. You are fighting from the victory, to quote Adrian Rogers. And so because you have experienced the victory of salvation, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, this is in no way what this word translates to, okay? But when I think of immovable and steadfast, you know the first thing that comes to my mind? Two fat sumo wrestlers. (laughs) Who? Lining up, right? I wish they wore some more clothes, but if that's what you're into, you're a sick person, okay? Okay? But anyway, line it up across from each other, right? And usually they're putting some English words to it, and it's not real nice, but anyway, you know, and then they just go at it, right? And they're pushing in there, they're pushing in there, you know, trying to get each other out of the ring, and and all I can think of is, man, I do not want to do that. Them guys are powerful, strong, immovable. Don't get them out of the circle. And I'm not going to call you Baptists to be sumo wrestlers tonight. But what I'm telling you is if you do not think that the devil is out to wrestle you, you are mistaken. If you do not think that he is out to wrestle your family, destroy your marriage, you are mistaken. And so be immovable, steadfast. That's the only thing anyone's going to remember from tonight's sermon is me sumo wrestling up here. 1 Corinthians 16 says it like this. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Nathan didn't go into the king and throw a fit and say, Why did you do this? He said, Hey, did something happen that I don't know about? What about Solomon? Something that I have been struggling in my own personal life that I have been studying as much as I possibly can is the lie that we have told ourselves or been told by the world That as long as I'm not committing the sin, I am not guilty of the sin. But yet the book of Romans tells us, even if I'm not participating in a sin, but if I am approving of a sin, I am guilty of that sin. And I had to get off Facebook a few years ago because I just couldn't take it anymore. Somebody would post something that was sinful. And like 400 Christians would say, great, great, perfect, awesome, wonderful, wonderful, great, perfect. And I would just sit and look at my computer and weep. Because what the Bible says is when a society or a nation or a group of people have hit rock bottom, it's not when they're just living in wickedness. It's when they're approving of that wickedness. And friends, we're there. We have been guilted into saying anything is a sin. We have been convinced that if we say anything is a sin, that we have no place of being a Christian. You say, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Jesus said, preach the gospel. Jesus said, proclaim the truth. The Bible tells us to point out sin and to call sin what it is. You say, well, Jake, I disagree with you. That's okay, let's look at the book of Romans and then I'll be done. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says these words. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Friends, if you do not think that boys trying to be little girls, homeless people laying on the street shooting up drugs in front of little children, if the fact that they can take your child out of school at 12 years old and give them a sex change and bring them back to school before you ever know it is debased, you are lying to yourself. God has given the lost in this nation over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, not not acceptable, not normal, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. It gives us all this list of what God has given us over to. But don't miss what it gets the most heartbreaking. Whom knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now, it's not telling you to go out and stone everyone that's not merciful. It is saying that a lifestyle of living in sin is not the mark of a Christian. And they are going to face spiritual death. But look to what all that goes on to say. Don't miss this. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Friends, when your loved ones are living in sin and you tell them you love them and it's okay, what you have not only done is you have condemned them and you've condemned yourself. You have pushed them farther from the truth because someone who speaks for God, someone who is supposed to know God, Someone who is supposed to love them in God has said, it is okay. Why are people like Joel Osteen so dangerous? Because he gets up and says, you can do whatever you want and still go to heaven. And people say, he speaks for God. Then it must be okay. You say, well, Jake, what am I supposed to do as a Christian when my family's leaving in sin? If you cannot tell them the truth, don't say anything. You say, well, that's not very biblical. It's better than pouring gas on a fire. But you ought to be praying, Lord, help me to say the truth in love. Let's just be honest. What does it say? It says not only who do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I have spent hours and hours and hours over the last few weeks studying that because it goes on everywhere. Hey, you guys are living together. You're having sex outside of marriage. As long as you love each other, don't don't you worry about it. Preacher will marry you. Don't you worry about it. not a big deal. Friends, what that church has done is make themselves guilty of that sin. So have I by saying it. Now, just just give me a minute. We'll just make everybody mad, all right? It's all right. Drunkenness is not a big deal. If you want to go out, tie one on, man, it's not a big deal. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about it. Everybody does it. Jesus turned it into wine, right? What you have done is not only condemned them, you have drugged yourself in with it. You say, well, Jake, you're not guilty by association, but no, do you not remember what Jesus said about causing one of these little ones to stumble? It would be better to have something tied around your neck and thrown into the lake and die. Friends, we do not understand the power of words. When you are a child of God and you speak for God, there is power in that. There is power in that say, well, Jake, this doesn't sound very popular or very funny. It's not. It's not. I had a recent story that I was going to tell you, but I'm just not even going to bring it up. I was recently called a racist like eight times this week. And every time it was said to me, I got angrier angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And at one point I thought, I'm going to hit this person. It's going to happen. There is a gym full of people that are going to watch it. And so I got up and walked outside. And as I walked up and down the hallway, and then I went outside and walked up and down the parking lot. I mean, I was so mad. I'm telling you, Brad, I'd have hit somebody and not even felt guilty about it at first. The Lord just kept telling me, Jake you don't want to be on the front page of the paper as a preacher punching somebody and I said you're right Lord I don't I don't want that at all I mean actually the flesh does the flesh is not worried about this at all I got my hundred bucks I'll bail out and we'll be on the way right it's just the truth it's you all so godly you don't know what it takes to bail yourself out of jail some of us haven't passed sitting here like little halos above your head you heathens But I just kept thinking, I just kept thinking, I just kept thinking, I just kept thinking, Lord, this world is dark, it is broken, it is hurting, and your witness, Jake, will be forever ruined. So, I stand here telling you how I look like a little girl and walked off, and that's okay. Because why? If it's all right for the preacher to hit someone, why can't I hit somebody? If it's okay for him to blow up and scream and cuss, which I did not, just be clear. It's okay for me to do it. You see, friends, we've got to stop thinking that our lives and our words do not matter because they do. You were saved with a price. You were saved for a purpose. And God wants to use you for every bit of that for His glory, if you will let Him. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word tonight. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful privilege of studying your word. Lord, it's truth. It's perfect. It's, Lord, it cuts us to the very heart of who we are. It doesn't skip over the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we're too embarrassed to talk about, Lord. No, it's your word. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is dealing with them through the power of your word. Tonight, Lord, for that believer that's maybe here that's been struggling in their walk, maybe they've been struggling in their marriage, maybe they've not been taking serious the great privilege that you've given us, that tonight would be that night that they'd say, Lord, forgive me and use me. Or, Lord, whatever else is needed tonight, Lord, work for your glory. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.